Hi, I'm Robert. I uh, grew up in the outskirts of Stuttgart and um, currently I'm working at OnTrack, which is a marketing uh, company for out-of-home marketing. Uh, and on the other side, I'm uh, working on a, a medtech startup, uh, which is hopefully going to be a huge company one day. And um, apart from that, I'm trying to be all over the place in consulting uh, other founders and trying to do some angel investments here and there. This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Hey folks, Garrett here. In this latest episode of the Most Awesome Founder Podcast, we introduce Robert Aramie founder of Dine Handy, on truck, and an exciting new stealth startup in the healthcare space. I met Robert last year when we were both coaching teams at a three-day startup. And it was immediately clear that we were two birds of the same feather, with shared passions for startups, creative marketing, and plenty of travel and outdoor adventures. But today we're discussing Robert's founder journey, which took him from Vehau to, to being a serial entrepreneur and eventually a business angel the delicate balance between a great lifestyle and a successful work life, and so much more. Hope you enjoy it. Coming to you from WHU, on the banks of the Rhine River, in beautiful Fallendar, Germany, this is the best and most awesome founder podcast. A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. Well, Robert Ehrlich, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, have this conversation with me. You know, we are a founder podcast, and many of the people on this podcast are Vehau alums, so it's really nice to kind of paint a, a broad picture of your journey, where you come from how you became an entrepreneur, and I guess up until where you are today. So it pretty much started um, out of WHU and um, with Rocket Internet in 2008, where Rocket was like really a small company of 30, 40 people, including IT. And um, we were recruited as the first business developers uh, by Christian Weiss. Um, who was my mentor before um, during an internship in 2006 during the World Cup. And uh, a lot of people of the team, of the first business developer team at Rocket were actually also doing that internship with Christian. And he kind of took the people that he thought like uh, they would not uh, uh, bust his nerves too much, I guess, um, or maybe quite the opposite. <laughs> Um, to assemble that team. Uh, so in that year, 2008-2009, I learned a lot with the Zambas, with uh, Philipp Kreibohm, um, Felix Jan, and, and Christian Weiss on what it means to seek an opportunity, to analyze it, um, to be structured about it, about the analytical process in that, and then to actually found the company to look for investors um, and to quickly ramp up and scale a business. That was a really, really interesting uh, time. We worked a lot of hours back then, um, but it was something that I that I really profited off. And we had a really, really great team. And also back then, what I learned was how important it is 
to have the right team together and to have the right people that you want to work with 24 seven. Um, I mean, WHU Fairpoint gives you already like the kind of feeling to get a lot of input and to deal with it in a minimum uh, amount of time. And especially if you're in the campus in Falunda, you're stuck together. Um, so you really are used to dealing with the same people um, all the time and with different personalities all the time. However, that year really gave me um, a sense on how to do that, not just on campus uh, during studies, but also to do that in a professional life. Uh, by the end of that year, um, we had the opportunity to be put on a certain topic as an entrepreneur in residence. However, with everything that I saw and that I learned at Rocket, I really didn't really feel like I would be ready for that and would be up for the task. And I wanted to, uh, first of all, I wanted to smarten up uh, myself a little bit because I knew it was street smart, but I was not the best student. Um, and I still did want to have a little <laughs> more um, studying going on in my life and uh, also have the opportunity to get a, uh, to get a foreign degree because uh, I really didn't just want to be bound to Europe. And I always wanted to uh, have the possibility to be, um, yeah, employable in the U.S. as well with an MBA, um, which is why I went back to uh, WHU, did a dual degree, um, got a master's at WHU and an MBA in San Diego, uh, where I actually wanted to wanted to stay. Um, but then somehow I got recruited um, out of Dusseldorf um, for a really, really young startup back then that had two people working, but that had six as a seed investor. Um, and it was pretty clear that Seven Ventures, ProSieben, um, Zanines Digital, uh, that they would actually invest in that company. Um, so I, I looked at the opportunity and I said, well, that's kind of a cool thing because the risk is relatively low. It's an execution topic. I know the field because it was price comparison which I had done partially at, at Rocket before as well. Uh, you will have traffic because the TV conglomerate is there. You will have money uh, because the funding was already there. So actually you cannot be, you can't do that much wrong um, if you if you're executed right. Um, so I took the opportunity and went back over uh, from the States and um, that was three years of really, really hard work. Um, and of, a, of building a really cool company. Uh, it was really a lifestyle company. I think uh, if we would have been in the 80s, uh, we would have thrown dwarfs around as well. Uh, it was really <laughs> a, a fun company. I remember having a beach party at the office where uh, in the afternoon we had a photo shoot and then we said like, hey, okay, tonight let's have a beach party. And we ordered the guys back at the office to put three tons of sand into the office uh, <laughs> uh, so we could have a party at night. Uh, so that was kind of a cool time and I wouldn't want to miss it. Um, however, at the end i thought uh, that that company had a lot more potential concerning brand building and uh, and the usage of uh, professional marketing and um, this is what i meant earlier when i said i'm a security founder because yeah with rocket in that year um, i really learned how how it is to build a team and how it is to build a company and then i learned about three years um, everything that there was to know about the telco business about um, lead generation in e-commerce um, and uh, about marketing and that. Um, so I was ready and I got a lot of support back then um, from, from other people from the industry um, that would back me up. Uh, so everything sort of fell into play. And then I said like, okay, I want to do that step and I want to go back to Berlin where I was with Rocket in 2008, 2009. Uh, because also here, my network is a lot bigger and um, I always appreciated the opportunity and the possibility to 
exchange op, uh, opportunities and to exchange options with other founders, with uh, marketing heads. And um, there's just like so much just by crossing the street here, uh, you will automatically meet um, somebody from your industry or another founder or yeah, it's like, it's like a campus life basically, especially here in Mitte. So that led me to 2014 <clears throat> where I founded uh, Dein Handy, uh, which was like up to now, probably the biggest company that I, um, that I built. We went up to uh, approximately 80 people um, and to uh, 60, 60, 65 million in external revenue uh, and had the company break even after, um, after two years of full business, like two and a half years in business. Um, which was a which was a really nice thing to see because actually all the things that I tried to that I tried to put down um, somehow worked um, and I would have just wished for the opportunity to get more uh, more money on board at some point uh, to actually grow the company even bigger uh, because my vision um, that I had for the company was a lot bigger than than what it turned out at the end. Um, but also then because of different agendas of different stakeholders and shareholders in the company. Uh, so that was kind of sad. And I saw that there was a lot more potential in it. But at the end, um, the company that was behind us was a Swiss conglomerate and they bought our main competitor. Uh, it would have uh, it became more and more clear that uh, we would merge with them. Um, so I would not be the only one in charge anymore of um, setting the strategic path. And uh, that is when when for me, it was also a point where I said, like, OK, uh, maybe this is time to like I built a solid and cool company here uh, with an amazingly strong employer brand. Um, and it was the right time for me to actually um, let that baby go to somebody else to be grown into a corporate company then. Um, and um, I also think I'm not the guy to, uh, not the founder type to run a company of um, 500 people or something like that. Um, I think my strong suit is in building up the team up to 100 people um, and then have somebody else in there to, to manage it because I'm really... Uh, from my mind, uh, I would say a free spirit. I have a lot of creativity. That's my strong suit. Um, I see a lot of things uh, that I will want to try to implement uh, and I need to move fast. I'm not a tanker. I'm speedboat in that. And um, that's why it was, the, it was the right time. And yeah, about two years ago, uh, during my time at Dine Handy, I founded this new company, OnTruck. Uh, and what we're doing is um, we're basically uh, marketing uh, or using 40-ton trucks, 18-wheelers uh, on uh, German autobahns and uh, also inner-city trucks uh, as a mobile um, billboard uh, possibility, uh, which hasn't really been done before. There was like one player in the market. Again, I used what I learned at Rocket to analyze a market, to see an opportunity and to seize an opportunity. Um, and then we actually said like, okay, hey, wh why don't we just do that? Um, and it was a different kind of thing because it was not a company that had to be built with a lot of capital um, before it would break even, but we were pretty much profitable from our first client, which at the time was Dine Handy because we were looking for a new marketing channel and we used this marketing channel and then out of that built that company um, as some sort of a spinoff, um, so to say. And um, the friend of mine that I um, that I founded the company with was running the company as a CEO actively, and he was doing a tremendous job in um, in 2019. And so after I 
uh, faded out of Dein Handy, I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? And um, OnTruck was one of the things that really triggered me because uh, I have the creative ideas of uh, trying to pitch to other companies because I see a fun marketing campaign in my head. Uh, and I'm just going to put that on a mini truck and send it to them and say like, Hey guys, wouldn't it be cool to have a truck uh, with your brand on it? Um, so I really can live my strong suit out there. Um, I can be creative. I can build a team. I can uh, help the, the founding and the management team right now um, to, to grow that company. And I can broaden my, my network and actually also use my network um, um, to, to a bigger purpose. Uh, so that's one of the things uh, that led me to to where I am today. After I after I sold um, my shares in Dine Handy, um, I was really trying to actually take it slow a little bit um, because for the past yeah nine years, uh, Dine Handy was five and a half years, and uh, roughly three years before that was was Price Twenty Four, Price Twenty Four, and I was really. 24 7 always on with that company and with that brand and um it took a turn on me as well because uh even though a lot of founders always say like hey yeah of course everything's awesome uh, and all numbers uh there's only hockey sticks uh, but somehow there's no bottoms there's only the there's only the ramp up uh, if you ask somebody um it really was a tough time uh, sometimes. And so my idea was actually to not commit to anything in, uh, in, 20, uh, in 2020 and to be taking it easy a little bit, uh, at least for the first quarter. Uh, but that in the end didn't work out well because it was January 10th and I came back from a little vacation uh, or from two, two and a half weeks, uh, Christmas and New Year's uh, vacations and came back Friday evening um uh, had jet lag on saturday and on sunday i called my co-founder from montreal i was like dude give me the key to the new office i need to check out the new office and damn there i was sitting back <laughs> sitting back in the office uh 24 7. so that didn't really work out and i uh, really tried actively to um to withdraw myself a little bit from the from the work life but uh then i i planned a trip to the us and before that trip to the us I got back in contact with WHU and uh, said like, hey guys, so uh, I do have a little more time in my hand and I do want to give back a little bit because a major part of my success was actually due to the network that I, that I could build um, at the university uh, or through the university. And um, I was always happy there. So I called, uh, I called up uh, Heike Rupisch and uh, she said like, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, there's 3DS um, that uh, could still use a little bit of support. I was like, yeah, sign me up, got me in. Uh, so there I was at the end of uh, January in Falandar at uh, Three Day Startup, uh, which is a really, really nice format um, that I learned. And um, it was kind of cool because I met a lot of different teams uh, with, with great ideas. Uh, I met you. Uh, and we had some interesting conversations uh, there about business opportunities and business models. Um, and one of the one of the teams that that we coached, I'm sorry, ambulance. <laughs> one of the teams that we coached uh, actually uh, caught my eye a little more. And uh, then I was uh, in in San Diego for a month to kind of clear my head and to to uh, lay back a little bit. However. 
I met a guy there that I met during my time uh, that I did my master's there. And he was um, in, in a field of business that would be vital to, to the project that these guys from 3DS had. And uh, so I had a conversation with him and he was working with a product design company uh, in, in Silicon Valley. And uh, he said like, hey, this is a project that is right down our, um, our way. So why don't you introduce us and why don't we see what we can what we can do so somehow out of that idea and the three day startup which ended up in a in a great pitch for these guys um i got really a lot more intrigued and um coming back from san diego i actually went into business with these guys and we founded a new company uh uh in a medical device uh or well in the let's let's call it a medical device field um and um uh, it's it's been an amazing journey and uh we have developed the device um or at least the first phase is concluded and the feasibility study and everything and right now we're in the funding uh for the next phases and i do see a huge opportunity there um i do see a unicorn opportunity there uh because if we really manage to to boost those unit sales that we're having there for this device um it could be yeah it could be a global it could be a global thing and uh, we got a lot of uh positive feedback um from the user groups and everything uh, the only thing that i have to say is hard um is since we're a product device uh, it's kind of tough to to find the right investor because it's a little chicken and egg situation like a lot of investors saying like hey once you have traction with the product, then uh, we will invest because we think it's an amazing idea. It's a huge opportunity, um, but right now we're not doing that. And then on the other side, you're like, okay, you need to be able to produce that. Um, and technology is expensive and it takes a lot more than um, just like two, three business angels to, to actually develop a, a tech device like that, like what we're doing. Yeah, um, the hardware conundrum. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's a tough process, um, but it's still it's still fun. And you meet a lot of uh, interesting people along the way. And um, yeah, finally, we got uh, we got to part of the um, funding round already. And um, the more people actually join, the more people then again get interested and say like, hey, OK, if these guys join, then uh, so right now we're trying to, you know, kick those dominoes. Um, and I think um that we can can be successful with that as well There, there's a lot to unpack in that. So I, I have a, a lot of, lot of follow-up questions and, and a lot of thoughts about it. Um, but the, I think the first one I want to ask you is, um, I kind of noticed a pattern in there, which is um, Robert wants to take time to chill, 
but then Robert finds another project that's really cool and exciting. Is, is, this, uh, is this the ongoing pattern in your life that you're like, okay, I've done really well here, I want to rest, and then something else catches your eye? Is it the, what, what keeps pulling you back instead of saying, hey, I just grinded away for three, four years, had a great success, I'm going to go you know, sit on a surfboard in some warm water somewhere for a while? I don't know. I, I don't know. I really like to. I really like to build stuff and to to get stuff ahead. And yeah, I think I do have a little um, issue with um, with my attention span. Um, so uh, I will look at different things all the time, and my mind will play tricks on me and will get creative um, too fast, which is always a bad thing. Uh, I, I mean, which is a fun thing if you have a marketing company. Because uh, usually you get fun ideas and creative ideas, uh, but which can lead to uh, which can lead to some issues. Also in a private life, I have to say. I mean, uh, um, my partner she was uh, used to me working twenty four seven, and then uh, after I sold the company, I said like, "Well, I'm going to take it slow." And she was like, "Yeah, okay, cool. Let's uh, then have some time together." And I was like. Oh, by the way, I need to get to the notary next week because we're founding another company. And that was not the only thing that I did this year uh, because I uh, partook uh, some angel investments uh, in some other companies that I'm trying to help out. I've been doing some coaching uh, for some other teams uh, because I just like I thrive on that. Uh, and uh, I think it's a bit of a personality um, issue, if you want to call it that way, um, that I really I can't sit still. I mean, hell my kindergarten teacher and uh, first grade teacher knew that already apparently because that's what they've written in my little statement there uh, like can't uh, can't sit still on his stool and is always running around and once he's finished with his tasks he's looking for new uh, 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 stupid things to do um, so I think it's a pattern in my life uh, as you <laughs> as you've seen right so uh, but actually what drives me on is to yeah to build stuff to see something you know shaping up um and to and to also develop uh people and to invest in to invest in people and see how people are developing uh, i think that's a that's one of the great things that i that i really appreciate you know I, I can i can relate to one of the things you were talking about which is kind of this dichotomy of be, being a builder versus being a manager and if you kind of look at my trajectory as an entrepreneur, it's it's somewhat similar to yours, is once things start getting larger and I realize I'm managing day to day and I'm looking for uh, efficiency and uh, um, I very, very quickly lose interest because if you know, I'm I'm a pretty poor musician. I'm not a very I'm a terrible artist. Like my creative outlet is is through business, but it's taken almost 20 years to kind of really realize, OK, this this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not good at. This is what I like. And and this is what I don't like. How did you kind of did you did you know that from the beginning that you were like a more early stage kind of creative side guy or did did something kind of trigger that uh, awareness along the way? Mm, I think I think I learned that in the when I was at Price 24 when the different stages uh when the different stages hit like when we were 25 people i absolutely loved the team when we were 40 people i loved the team um there was a break or a cut into that when uh the when um 
when a conglomerate partner came in and the conglomerate partner came in and they wanted to have their controlling unit. And uh, I was suddenly not busy in creating stuff, but in reporting stuff. And that was something they wanted to have forecasts from me on how many phones I'm going to sell five years from now in September. And I was like, if you would have asked me five years ago how many Blackberries I would sell in today, then I probably would have given you a different figure. Um, mm -hmm. That's only an insider joke for people right. that still know what BlackBerry is. <laughs> You're showing your age, mate. <laughs> exactly. I'm showing my age here. Uh, but still, I mean, um, that was sort of the thing where I started to realize like, hey, this, this is turning into something I, I don't want to report to anybody and, and deal with justifications rather than taking action and taking decision and trying things out. If things don't work, well, that's okay. And uh, I also was never the guy to, um, but that's a management style. I was never the guy to get a lot of reports. Um, I always had my, my dashboards. I mean, my browser tab had like uh, 20 tabs open or then I had a really, really awesome BI guy that I worked with. So I only had like three or four tabs open, which gave me pretty much every single number um, of, the, of the company. And I much rather pull my own data and interpret data on my own than asking somebody to make a lie up uh, uh, for me uh, to to show his beautiful results or so i mean only trust the excel sheet that you forged yourself um so that was one of the things that i learned like uh, pretty early on where i was like okay i don't want to be in a situation to to justify my actions uh in with numbers i want to be uh, in control of my um, by myself and setting the direction of where I'm going. And if I want to try something and it doesn't have to make economical sense because I'm not looking to build the most efficient, most fast growing company. I'm looking to build um, uh, an awesome company that I love to work in that starts with the atmosphere in the office and with the team. Um, I want to build a company that is amazing uh, for the team as well, where people can develop themselves um, and I want to develop a company that uh, that I can stand for, that I can represent as a brand and be proud of. Uh, that went with Dine Handy, where we said uh, we are working with the WWF and um, we're doing a lot of uh, CSR projects with that. That comes in with OnTrack right now that we are uh, cooperating with uh, Planetly with Funnily, um, two people that I used to work with in my time at Rocket uh, 12 years ago that we're now getting back to uh, back together uh, into business. And we're trying to make uh, actively reduce the carbon footprint of all trucks that are driving uh, on the roads in Europe uh, by actually saying like, hey, we're going to offset every single kilometer that is driven by a truck uh, through your campaigns. Um, and that is something that I then can say like, hey, I, we stand for that. We're also looking into um, uh, becoming godparents uh, of a couple of animals in the, in the Berlin tear park and in the Berlin Zoo just because we like it and we think it's fun and it's a cool thing to do or um, that we can say like, hey, we are actually trying to make an active contribution to uh, another WHU guy, uh, Marlon, um, who, who has his new foundation for endangered, uh, endangered species and endangered animals in, in Africa and around the world. Like those are the things that I want to be free to work with. And I don't want to have to justify my decisions on that. And 
I couldn't care less if it's like a couple of thousand euros here, a couple of thousand euros there. Um, it's just that, um, that those are the things that I want to do. And uh, this is where uh, I started then back then to realize like, hey, I'm more the guy to build up something with a small team where decisions can be driven on a daily basis, uh, on a quick meeting, on, on a quick talk with your uh, co-founder or with your, uh, with your team where you can actively uh, listen to and then actually take action. Um, so that's when I said like, yeah, I'm probably not the guy to run a thousand people conglomerate. Right, right. That's a, that's a really interesting point. It, and it's one that I've experienced quite a bit and I think has very much kind of formulated my my worldview as, as an entrepreneur as I've gotten older. You know, I, I built a couple small boutique consultancies and I said, oh, you know, this isn't scalable. I want to do something big. And then I did the big venture backed, fast growing startup, thinking that that was the path that I wanted to take. And, uh, and after I left that, since then, I've much more focused kind of going back to lifestyle design, realizing that, you know, my lifestyle, um, you play such an integral role and your businesses play such an integral role in you and in your life that um, it's really important to create uh, a lifestyle that you want. I, I kind of see that same pattern in you. You know, you had a lifestyle business, you went from Rocket, then you went back to school, then you had a lifestyle business, then you had a fast growing business. And it seems like you've kind of gone back into that lifestyle business again. Maybe what you're working on now in the med tech space could be a, a big one again. What? What is the driver for you? What do you see as kind of your core? Are you, do you prefer one or the other or do you like switching back and forth or? Yeah, I really don't think it's about the, the specific topic um, of, uh, of like if it's fast growing or not fast growing. I think it's about the opportunity and it's about the, the cause behind it. And yeah, for me, as I said, OnTrack, which is um, like a really profitable business, which is kind of a fun thing compared to all the other stuff where you need to put a lot of money in and maybe at the end you're going to see some profits. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a cash cow business. And um, so that gives me personally uh, security, which is a nice thing and gives me freedom to explore uh, my marketing, uh, my marketing drive uh, and my creativity um, craziness. Um, whereas the other thing in the medtech um, area is something, yeah, it's potentially huge. What drives me there is um, I saw a lot of potential um, or still see a lot of potential in the team because I think they're super driven, um, which is why I wanted to be a part of that and uh, try to help where I could. And the other thing is it also makes an impact because potentially this could save like tens or hundreds of thousands of lives uh, in the future because it really has an impact with the data that is being collected and uh, with what you can do with that. And uh, that is something that I'm like, okay, hey, this is going to come at some point in the future and it will have a huge impact on a lot of lives, on a lot of households. Uh, so we want to be there. Uh, and I'm trying to, it's always really about the vision for me um, of the company and uh, not much about like, hey, I need to speed that up in the next uh, three months or five months or something like that. It's like, hey, okay, what do I need to do to, uh, to get that vision through? And uh, some things for sure can be done faster um, or, uh, or more, um, with more drive in a certain way. Um, but I think it's not about that. Uh, I really think it's about the uh, identification um, of the team with the product uh, because I've seen... Companies grow super fast, 
with a team that wasn't committed and then companies fail fast because yeah the team wasn't committed because they were uh, not putting in 110% and they were not really convinced about what they're doing. They were after their paycheck and that was it. I've been trying to establish a place of business where that's not the case, where everybody is not there because of the what, but because of the why. And um, in my experience, that that makes a huge difference, especially in, in key roles and hat positions uh, when that had, and it's not financially uh, incentivized. It's incentivized by communication by by means of do you believe in the uh, in the vision of that company do you believe in the goal that we're trying to achieve um, that is somewhat realistic and uh, uh, I think that is the driver in, in in doing those businesses and that's why there is no real difference in between uh, going big or going small I'm also invested as an angel investor in a couple of other companies also some WHU companies on the side with um, that I think um, are maybe not billion euro companies, uh, but they will be solid businesses. And uh, if I can make my part in there as a consultant or as an advisor, uh, then that's a then that's an interesting uh, interesting thing. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's amazing how much having purpose in what you do. You know, like 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 Simon Sinek says about knowing your why. If you know your why and you know your purpose, sometimes it. You could be working really, really hard. It doesn't feel like you're working that hard at all. Exactly. And that and the combination. I mean, we're in times of COVID, um, so it's kind of difficult to lure people into the um, into the company. But um, trying to, like in the past, I can say, and also the office that we're having here, uh, we built ourselves a treehouse in the office uh, so we can rest a little bit. We have like a huge screen here uh, because we actually do play a lot of FIFA in the way. <laughs> um but it's something, you know, that makes you stay here, that makes you sit here, that makes you feel comfortable. And it's not about showing uh, face at the office. It's about do you feel well in your environment and um, do you then identify yourself with that in a, uh, in a way? Because that's the extra 10% of uh, staying an hour longer or um, actually thinking about it on the weekend as well. And, or if you're out there with friends to drop something and then you get some feedback and you're like, yeah, okay, I make the connection. Like trying to actively uh, get people to make connections towards their business um, while they're not on the business. Uh, I think that's, the, that's one of the results that comes out of that. I want to touch on a topic that you have mentioned a number of different times, and I kind of want to put it in the context of your founder experience. And it's the topic of kind of being people centric, you know, and, and that takes different forms in different types of organizations, you know, in, in a small lifestyle business where you're having beach parties in your office versus, versus having 80 employees versus having, a, you know, essentially a, a, a boutique marketing kind of business to having a potentially fast growing med tech startup. All of these are such different contexts and they actually have different types of people in there in some cases as well. You know, tell me a little bit, I know since you, you're such a big advocate of, of building culture and putting people first, what have you learned in those different contexts in terms of the, the way you kind of work with your employees, your peers, your investors and, and whatnot? I think I can 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 start in that topic by um, the focus on recruiting people. Um, for me, especially in a startup, especially if you're early on, um, it's not 
that much about the skill fit, uh, but it's more about the personal fit because those are going to be the people that you have to work with for a long time that you will go through rough patches with uh, usually. Um, if you're really lucky, they're not that rough, but they probably will be. <laughs> um, and you will see those people a lot more than you will actually uh, see your partner. And so especially in a startup where things are being shaped in the first one, two, three years, uh, it's not necessarily clear what your task is going to be or what your employee's task is going to be two years from now. Um, so they will learn that on a job. And especially in the beginning, for me, it always has been super important to get the right, uh, to get the right team and the right personal fit together. That was always something that I really stressed a lot more than the, than the skill fit. And um, once the company grows, then at some point uh, you need to establish and uh, need to implement like uh, skilled people that have a lot more experience in their fields uh, that are like either C-level or head-level or something like that. Um, then is where you have to make the trade-off. I mean, they still, but, but still then for me, it's really, really important that these people also fit in the team because I would never want to um, implement somebody no matter how good he is uh, or she is in their field in front of a team that then doesn't sink because then I destroy a lot more because I don't just destroy that team, but I also destroy the harmony within the company. Um, that is something that ultimately will happen the bigger the company gets, especially right now since there is uh, fewer uh, fewer people in the office. So, so it's kind of uh, difficult to create personal uh, or difficult, more difficult to create personal bonds in between your employees. Um, but still, then it's it's really important, and uh, that is something that I always try to focus on, like personal fit in that and showing these people the right amount of appreciation uh, and developing people in, in, in growing up. Like we had a couple of stories where people started as interns uh, in with my companies and then ended up as head of marketing or ended up as um, some other C-level position uh, or went to another company and then became leads there, uh, which I was always happy to see because I was always trying to push people not too hard, but trying to develop people. And um, I think uh, even now as an angel investor, I mean, fairly small angel investor, a couple of uh, a couple of investments, but there's a lot of teams or a lot of founders that I talk to or that I, that I help with some coaching. And uh, it's the same thing. It's about seeing those people evolve or those people evolving their teams. Um, which, uh, uh, which makes me, which makes me happy to see and which drives me. Cool. One other thing that um, for me was an important learning was on when to fire people. Um, I might have made a couple of mistakes in having people on the company too long that I should have fired probably um, uh, a lot earlier, uh, which I had issues with because uh, I always think of myself like, you know, you you can manage, you can turn this person around or something like that. And um, that had positive impact on the entire company, but it also had negative impact. The positive impact was that if somebody screwed up or if somebody was not doing the job right, um, then they saw, okay, it's not like, hey, you make one mistake and you're gone. Uh, because I really don't like to work with uh, with that, that amount of pressure. 
Um, but it also gave, uh, and that's why I'm saying like in hindsight, I should have fired people um, earlier. It also gave sometimes the opinion like, hey, no matter what you do, you're not going to face consequences. So there's a thin line in that. Uh, and I think everybody has to figure that out for themselves on when to draw the line when it's enough. Um, but for me, um, I always try to give people more than uh, at least more than one or two chances. And uh, because I'm trying like for, for me, it's a pyramid of um, of leadership and there is uh, there is uh, authority on top. There is uh, charisma. Um, and expertise on the bottom and I'm trying not to be on the top not to be uh, on, on the authority because uh, I'm trying to be a, a leader much rather than a boss and trying through charisma uh, through my personality and through expertise because I'm trying to know every single number in the company and trying to be able to give an answer to everybody um, so so trying to have people follow my ideas or uh, my instincts in that way rather than telling them like if you don't do this you're fired <laughs> right so you know i i understand this kind of people centrism really well in smaller organizations built a half dozen with at least 20 people in it but when you get up to a people 70 80 employees and you start adding in management layers it gets a lot harder to kind of maintain that personal touch and really integrate your personality and you know your your culture of appreciation and nurturing and whatnot. How did you how did you manage to do that when the the stakes got higher and the scale got bigger? Did you feel like you were able to be the same kind of leader, or did you have to adapt to that scale? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so I always tried to like, once I had a different, once I had a second management layer in the company, I always tried to pass my values on to these managers, um, and to these leads or heads and, uh, to show them like, Hey, if you run your team, like I was running you guys, then this should be, this should be no problem. That was easy for some guys. And that was not easy for some others because I mean, personalities, yeah, they are different. And, um, especially if you have, uh, other departments where, um, by default personalities are different, um, then you have extroverted marketing guys, you have, uh, not as extroverted guys, maybe in design or in it, uh, or in other areas, then, it becomes difficult um, or it becomes not difficult, but a little more challenging, I would say, uh, because also as the company grows, you're not directly in contact with these people anymore. And uh, I always considered myself being a buddy with everybody. Um, that was cool until 25 people. And then at some point, I remember one day that um, a newly established head of a department told me like, hey, so this and this uh, new employee wanted to talk to you. And I was like, well, why didn't they come talk to me? And they said like, well, they don't, they don't dare. I was like, why don't they dare? My door is always open. And I was like, yeah, well, you're CEO. And I was like, so <laughs> I'm still here with my hoodie. Uh, the water I'm uh, cooking with is not warmer than theirs. Uh, so what's the problem? But then I started to realize the, the shift in perspective because I was not one of the team anymore but I was suddenly, they came into something that was not uh, a fresh startup anymore, but that was an established or out of their perspective, an established company. And I was the boss of that company. 
so that was a difficult um, thing for me to learn uh, to not being able to be in contact um, all the time. Still, what I've been trying to do also once we hit um, 80 people or, uh, um, or more uh, was to punctually um, set the tone and punctually uh, make people aware that I see their results, that I give them a little appreciation and pat on the back. Uh, like I would know by the numbers that I don't know, uh, customer, um, customer care, uh, customer service representative would have made a great sale. So I would go into the room where everybody was and I would say like, hey, I saw you 10 minutes ago, you made an amazing sale. That's a cool thing. So that had two that had two reasons to say that. First of all, it was giving uh, these guys a pat on the back, um, and he felt uh, he felt in one like, "Wow, okay, uh, CEO sees me." The other thing was that everybody else was like, "Oh, wow, CEO knows everything." Um, so they felt like, "Okay, he knows all his numbers and everything," um, and that that's a thing. And I also tried on Monday morning to be in the common area um, or to ask people, "How was your your weekend?" and try to, you know, understand what what they're into. I might not remember that from everybody that at some point, um, but still, you know, to, to touch base from time to time with employees across, uh, across all levels still remains, um, still makes you remain a company as a, as a whole team and not just like, Hey, I'm number employee number 257 and I don't count, but to actually be seen and to, to get that pat on back. Um, I want to take, you, you've dumped a, a wealth of leadership philosophy into this conversation. So I kind of want to bring that all together. Um, and I, I like to ask all of the, the founders on the podcast this question, since there's a lot of, you know, young people, uh, young potential and current founders listening to this. Um, if you had to distill your your decade plus of, of entrepreneurial wisdom and you could offer kind of one big lesson learned for aspiring or, or current entrepreneurs, uh, what would be the, the core message that you would want to share? The core message would probably be show appreciation to whatever person sits across the table from you. Um, and it's, the same way of uh, if this is an intern that has a good idea or um, that you see that is trying uh, to bring something up um, or if it's your C-level executive guy that uh, you know knows his job inside out but uh, you're still saying like hey awesome it was the right thing to bring you in on this um, because a little like really a short, tiny little appreciation can go such a long way. And especially to, to think long-term because yeah, I've seen it in the past 10 years uh, or in the past 13 years, people that you work with at some point will be in different positions, especially in the startup world. Uh, your intern might be running a multi-billion company in, uh, in six years or seven years from now. 
and uh, they will still remember you and they will still be able to uh, connect you to something. And um, it's really good to, to, for me at least, to uh, my experience was to stay in contact and to keep contact with uh, a lot of people from, from my old team. And uh, being at, showing up at a party uh, from a new company or something like that, which really surprised me from uh, some people from my old team where I was like, wow, this is, I'm, I'm really humbled by that. And they still remember me and I still get resumes sent from other uh, colleagues from before and we're interchanging um, yeah, employees and leads and uh, um, access to finance and everything uh, right now. So yeah, building your network is a lot is worth a lot more than actually um, uh, than actually other other stuff that might that people might tell you with and building your resume or whatsoever. It's really about um, what a connection you make to people and 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 how you foster the development not only of yourself but with other people. Really, really, really good point. You know, so many people think they've got to build up their CV or they got to build up their toolkit, but. Uh, as they say, sometimes it's better uh, uh, who you know than than what you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really cool. Awesome. One other thing I wanted to ask you, which is, um, you know, you've got so many so many sticks in the fire. Um, that's my kind of approach to life: is uh, a bunch of different projects that get you get you excited each day. Where does Robert see himself in the next five years? If you could. If you can teleport five years ahead, what do you what do you envision you're doing? <laughs> Surprised you with that one, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that came out of nothing. <laughs> now, in five years, I um, I do hope that we have um, that our medtech business um, is uh, by then, uh, yeah, a billion dollar company. Um, I do hope that. I do think that there is a good possibility for that. Uh, if that's gonna happen i don't know um i think that um on track is going to be a hugely profitable business and hopefully uh, operating um i mean we already are operating across europe but uh that we're like i don't know 10 20x by then which is okay for a cash flow uh, for for a cash flow project and um yeah there's tons of different things that I'm looking into. I had a call this morning uh, for a nice project uh, that I thought was a great opportunity. Uh, uh, I'm probably going to join uh, 3DS one, uh, not just one more time. And uh, there is going to be new opportunities coming up from that. And uh, yeah, I think uh, in five years from now, maybe uh, I will be invested in a couple more companies, um, some of them more intensively, some of them not. And uh, I still think that the creative, like my strong suit is creativity. And um, yeah, I see myself still some part in on track, um, I have to say. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean that I will take some time specifically to work on full term on other projects. Uh, but yeah, out of the perspective of today, I would think MedTech is going to be a huge part of that and uh, trucks is going to be a big part of that and uh, a couple of new ideas that will uh, have risen along the way uh, will be part of that as well so i guess we'll have to wait more than five years till we find you sitting on a boat or on a beach somewhere relaxing huh 
Oh, that, that's a thing. I mean, uh, I will be hopefully on a boat uh, a little earlier because uh, uh, I really enjoy to be at the water. And um, especially with COVID now, everybody um, has seen that we can that we can also work remotely. And uh, we're actually trying to move our team with OnTrack um, for a month or so to a warmer to a warmer area once it's uh, so cold here in Germany. I mean. If we can travel again, uh, that would be a cool thing to test out. So hopefully uh, it doesn't take that much longer uh, for me to be on a boat or on a uh, on a nice beach. Uh, and I love to travel. But um, yeah, I think just to lay back with a margarita in my hand, probably not. You will find me on a boat or on a beach, but probably with my laptop or with my phone and doing some <laughs> business. Nice. I love that. I love the fact that whether you're working on something high high growth potential um big impact or 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 something smaller you're still looking for ways to integrate a, a good lifestyle into that experience that's great so i want to wrap up with a couple quick personal questions i ask everybody everybody these questions some people love to give their answers i think others it might pain them a little bit but we want to get a little insight into robert the the person uh, the first one is, and I, I've seen this throughout my life, I grew up in a house, we had a whole room that was a library and it had probably a couple thousand books in there. And even as a kid, I used to look around, you know, look at my parents and grandparents old books in there. And I feel like you can learn so much from a person by what they read. So tell me, do you have a book you're reading or that you would recommend? Well, I think for every, uh, I'm a big fan of um, of a little bit of uh, psychology. Um, so um, I I think uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Make Friends, is a is a must read for every founder. Um, that is something that really I, I read that book when I was uh, fresh out of high school, and this is one of the things that really had an impact on me. And I'm trying to get that book out to as many people as I can, even interns uh, and and everything here. Uh, in order to think about how to take on a different perspective and um, how to deal with people, if you like them or not. Um, because sometimes in business, you will have to deal with people that you don't like. And then uh, you can either like break off that relationship or you can kill them with kindness. Um, and uh, sometimes that's a better way. Uh, so, so that is one thing that I'm reading. Uh, there's a couple of interesting founder stories out there. Um, I like... Um, uh, Phil Knight, Shoe Dog, uh, the story of Nike. Um, yeah. it's, uh, it's a really interesting read. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I think those are probably the two books that I would recommend at the moment um, for young founders. Well, I love that you, uh, you brought up Carnegie. I mean, talk about a timeless book. You know, how, how old that book is now and from a guy that, you know, associated with robber barons and uh, who were constantly competing against one another and despising one another. I think there's a lot of wisdom in, in Carnegie's words. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Cool. Um, one last question, which is um, you are in Berlin. Um, I've said it, uh, I feel like a lot of times, but this is the music capital of Germany. Um but as someone that's also traveled the world, what uh, what's cycling on your playlist these days? 
Well, there's two playlists, um, more or less, that I'm having, actually. Uh, one is um, for late night shifts. Um, it's, uh, it's a deep house mix um, that I put either on SoundCloud or uh, Spotify. And the other thing is uh, during the day uh, or if, I, if I'm working on a different project or something, um, I have a reggae cover list. Like from all the famous reggae songs and uh, make having covers like either acoustic or a little bit housey, um, that really gives me a good positive vibe because it automatically sets me in a nice beach or on a nice boat, <laughs> and uh, uh, it still has a good uh, and it's easy it's easy stuff to listen because you pretty much know the words, so it's something that can go in the background, uh, doesn't distract you too much, and. Uh, I really can recommend that, like reggae cover hits, as a as a cool thing. Yeah, nice, nice. It's always a sunny day when reggae is playing, right? <laughs> awesome, man. Robert, thanks so much, man. I really enjoyed our conversation once again. Appreciate your insights. Um, I guess real quick for people that want to learn more about what you're working on, um, where can where can we find you? What should we what should we check out? website social whatever yeah probably uh probably my linkedin uh for look for robert Ermich. um and uh that that's probably the best way to to find out about me um my instagram is private uh i like to keep it that way because uh, uh i'm i mainly only post when i'm on the way so it gives a different uh, gives a different uh, uh path of reality because i'm not posting uh, for the fifth time during the week sitting at 2 a.m in the office uh, uh with a with a stained coffee mug <laughs> uh, so that might not be the right way yeah but uh, linkedin is probably the the page to see and um apart from that uh yeah check out on track on track.eu um, if you're really looking for uh, creative and fun uh, marketing campaigns, uh, I think that is one thing. And then, uh, yeah, hopefully observe uh, the startup news from time to time. And uh, maybe there will be some new investments uh, or some new projects uh, covered. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much. I wish we could have done this in person, but uh, the next the next cold one will be on me in Berlin. It was uh, always a pleasure to chat with you, mate, and uh, hopefully we'll get to do it again with new and exciting news in the future. So much appreciated. Thanks for having me. It was an awesome talk, and yeah, I really hope to see you in person soon. Thanks, man. Cheers. Have a good one. Cheers, Dan. Well, folks, that was Robert Ehrman. Vehau alum and founder of Dine Handy, On Truck, an exciting new healthcare startup that's still in, in stealth mode. To learn more about Robert's work, check him out on LinkedIn or visit ontruck.com. Next up, we're introducing Leah Grunhaga, Vehau alum, early employee at Amoralini, and current co-founder of Avery Fertility. We'll be discussing Leah's founder journey, her evolution through the years at Amoralini, the big step of becoming a founder herself, and the cultural taboos of sexuality and reproduction. The words authentic and open simply don't do Leah's personality justice, so listen for yourself in a few weeks. Until then, be sure to check out our website at mostawesomepodcast.com, follow our channel on YouTube, and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcasting service. Bis nächstes Mal.